what happens when technology meets policy or when the private sector and the public sector experience such a disconnect that the only obvious answer was, well, to fix it. That's the mission that Tim Wang took up at 21. And fresh off withdrawing from Harvard Business School and a mere $2,000 in his pocket, Tim joined Albert and detailed the ambition that it took to start Fiscal Note, the excitement of forging your own path, and how his company is revolutionizing Washington, D.C. by lobbying big data. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody. Today, Mission Daily, we have Tim Huang, CEO of Fiscal Note. Tim, welcome to the show. Great to be on. All right. As we always do, start off by telling us what Fiscal Note is, because I'm not going to lie. When I first read about this company, I didn't really understand what people were telling me. So (laughs) I had to do a little homework, dig in. I think I know what you guys do, but it's always great to hear directly from your mouth. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Fiscal Note is a really interesting company. You know, we sit at the intersection of technology and policy. Um, And so in this world of Brexit and trade war and, you know, new presidential administration and whatnot, we basically help companies and governments and law firms and whatnot basically make sense of all of that. So our main product, what we do is we take legislation, regulations, laws, in some cases, court cases, government documents, we pull it all together. Uh, We structure and normalize and classify all those different documents. And then we build a vertical software tool essentially for lawyers and compliance people and legal professionals and lobbyists and the like basically to uh, manage all those different interactions with lawyers and and whatnot, right? So effectively, uh, we're kind of a legal tech business that not only collects information, you know, laws and regulations, but also uh, is capable of sort of helping lawyers uh, manage their day-to-day tasks. So today, we service about uh, 5,000 organizations, um, government agencies, uh, uh, you know, every member of the House and the Senate is a customer of ours, the White House, uh, you know, major, major corporations and law firms and uh, law schools and universities. And so, uh, you know, about 5,000 of them today kind of sit on our platforms and monitoring all these different changes. Now, that's an amazing number. Tons of private companies, public institutions, a lot of different people using it for different reasons. Now, I'll be truthful. When I first read about your business, I didn't understand like what its purpose was until I started reading some use cases. So I was hoping you could kind of share some of the use cases of how this actually helps a business. Um, we'll start in the business side. Like, How does this actually help a business in like practical application? So um, it's really interesting. So I think that probably up until a couple of years ago, <laughs> to be honest, Silicon Valley in particular, um, not calling on any specific companies, but Silicon Valley in particular was notorious for not caring about regulations, right? And so, <laughs> uh, you know, you look at uh, ride-sharing companies and, you know, shared economy companies and gig economy companies and all these different companies that just float. They just, they don't care about labor regulations. They don't care about zoning regulations. If you're a drone company, you don't care about FAA regulations. I mean, it's like mind-boggling, right? You're just operating in some like alternate universe. And so, so I think there's a reckoning probably a couple of years ago, but, you know, I mean, honestly, the, the most relevant example has probably come out of the Valley, right? So you have these ride sharing companies um, that literally you, you sit down, you really think about it. Think about all the different regulations that exist in that industry. You've got food delivery regulations, you've got um, driver onboarding regulations, you've got regulations around passenger safety, you've got regulations around um, labor, or, I mean, literally straight down the line, data privacy, mobile payments. And so you think about a company like that, and then you think about how they actually stay on top of those regulations. You know, they're changing all the time. You know, you're operating in you know, dozens of different countries. And so you think, okay, well, do they monitor this stuff? <laughs> 
And, uh, you know, that's just one simple example, right? I mean, you look at, for instance, uh, a simple company like McDonald's, right? You know, you, you would think that they just, all they do is they make burgers and they sell to people, right? But mm-hmm. think about sort of all the regulations that exist around a simple business like that. Food regulations, the zoning regulations, the real estate regulations, labor regulations, environmental regulations, and, you know, operating in dozens of different countries. And so I think that for most companies, this sort of sense of massive globalization um, combined with the increasing political scrutiny, you know, is, is driving a lot of the elements of our core organization. And that's been, you know, probably what's been the biggest driver of, of our business over the last couple of years. So all these regulations, things are happening in real time. And like you said, if you're a multi-location operator, uh, you know, you might have different rules in one, you know, city to city, state to state, wherever you may be. And so your platform helps them understand what's about to happen. So how does it do that? Like, so this is where, like, I think this is really fascinating because, you know, I think some people would say, well, that, that information is already available. You know, it's, it's already on the website. I've read government websites. It's pretty impossible to understand what you're supposed to do or not supposed to do. And when you call, like no one can help you somehow. <laughs> so how does Fiscal Note distill this into something that is usable? Because you're not just like copying it into like one aggregated place, like, because that doesn't actually help me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So let's take the example of like a fast food chain, right? So, you know, you're, you're operating, let's say a thousand different fast food restaurants in, you know, in like a dozen different countries. So basically what we do is we go from, you know, to all those different countries, a dozen or so countries, we index, um, we scrape, we pull off of APIs, we partner with the governments, basically getting all of that data into a singular place. We clean it up, we've got to process it, we've got to structure it. And then from there, there's a lot of things you can do, right? Number one, you should make it searchable, right? So yeah. you should be able to search through all of it fairly quickly. Um, number two, you should be able to get alerts or notifications on it, right? So if something changes, you don't have to sit there searching every day, but you know you can sort of get an alert delivered to your phone or to your email, whatever it is um, that says, hey, there's a law that's changing that you should know about, right? Then you look at things like analytics, right? So you know, we're able to do things like telling the probability of whether or not a bill is going to pass in a legislature or um, looking at regulators, right? So how are regulators talking about a specific issue, the speeches that they have or the comments are being submitted by the public and uh, what directionality do we think that this regulation is going to morph into? We look at things like effectiveness of lawmakers, right? So I can tell you by based off of the voting history and the voting patterns and, and whatnot, you know, this state senator in Nebraska or I guess in Texas is not very effective, right? So, and they're not particularly effective on issues of environmental safety. So great. Then, you know, the, a bill gets proposed, you look at who's sponsoring it, probably not going to get passed, right? So that type of stuff down to the granular level in terms of analytics we can do. And then there's all this workflow around it, right? So, you know, we have things like, uh, you know, every time you interact with a lawmaker, can you upload that interaction into a centralized database, right? So you can now know, hey, over the last five years, how many times do we talk to the FDA? What does the FDA care about? Right. And so you can essentially have a sort of repository, essentially, of all this information that you're kind of keeping. So it's sort of like a government CRM, if you will. Right. Or you have capabilities where you can upload your regulatory filings into documents. So you can essentially have sort of a centralized place where every time you file something to the Department of Agriculture or the Labor Department, you sort of you know, can reference that. Or we have a project management tool. Right. So, for instance, the law gets passed. And then now you have to work with operations teams, compliance teams, whatever the case is, in order to actually implement the law within your company, right? So you have to have all these different collaboration tools and capabilities and be able to reference the law and sort of measure progress against it. And so we essentially have all these different dashboards and project tools that help companies um, you know, implement those laws. And so from literally from start to finish, from the collection of the laws to the implementation of the laws and the software around that, you're essentially building out all these different capabilities. 
So we've interviewed in the past some of the financial software companies like uh, Zero, Savos, uh, some really interesting companies that do really cool things. They always talk about how they have to be at the cutting edge of tax compliance, but it sounds like you're talking about, well, you're talking about laws in general, just any type of law that can impact your business uh, in any capacity, or I guess any law in general. Is that is that accurate? Like you're not even focusing on, so for example, those accounting products, typically they're focused just on tax. Like you're looking at all laws. You mentioned environmental policy, tax zoning regulations. Like it sounds like everything under the sun is something fiscal knows trying to track. Yeah. Yeah. So if the government moves, we want to track it basically. So, <laughs> I mean, that's, somebody's got to do it. Right. I mean, and that's like, people, people forget. I mean, it's not just companies too, right. And we have, you know, certainly the biggest use case that we, we were talking about, right. Is, is, you know, the food beverage companies, pharma companies and whatnot, but then you have, you forget there's a whole apparatus of just pure play politics, right? So we're uh, talking gun control, environmental, you know, uh, all, all these different issues that we care about as citizens. Um, you know, we, our customer base, you know, includes basically everybody under the political spectrum, right? And so lawyers, environmental groups, advocacy groups, nonprofits, there's thousands and thousands of, of those groups that use our platforms for just the political apparatus of, you know, our democracy, but also sort of political systems around the world. This is amazing. Learn a little bit about yourself, your background, your upbringing to kind of see like, how did you envision and see this opportunity? So we'll go back a little bit um, and then we'll come back to the present day. But we did a little homework on you. It looks like you dropped out of Harvard to pursue this opportunity. It says so on your website that you started with $2,000 in a budget motel room to, to, to build this. So let's go to that moment kind of. Were you always interested in government? And like, did you already know the practical applications of what fiscal note is today? Or did fiscal note start off as something very different in 2013, 2014 timeframe? Yeah. So, you know, I was always interested in government. And to be honest, I never set out to be a tech entrepreneur. I mean, I, um, uh, I, I thought I was going to go down the government pathway. Right? So I had worked on Obama's 08 campaign. I'd run for office. I served on the Board of Education in Maryland. Uh, you know, in Montgomery County, um, I effectively, you know, was trying to sort of build a, not necessarily an elected career, but sort of a political career, just kind of mm-hmm. working in that space. And, you know, I was super interested in tax policy, super interested as, you know, criminal justice, all these different issues. And as nerdy as that sounds, I mean, that's kind of what I wanted to do. And so I, I actually went to Princeton for undergrad and I sort of, I was at the Woodrow Wilson School studying public policy and, and sort of taking courses in computer science and, and sort of very technical stuff. And my initial plan, to be honest, was to go back to the government, you know, mm-hmm. maybe work uh, State Department or FCC or something, kind of OSTP, which is sort of looking at the intersection of how I can use a very technical background you know, for being a policymaker. And then having kind of worked in and around government for a while, I, uh, I was thinking about sort of all the different challenges that existed in government, right? I mean, you, you're sort of just thinking, well, what are the things that I can do, right? And so initially, so I was accepted to Harvard Business School and, and, and whatnot, and was thinking about, okay, well, why don't I just take some time to think about it? And then, you know, as I was thinking about it, one of the biggest challenges that I was watching, this is back in 2012, 2013, was this disconnect, this total disconnect between the private sector and uh, the public sector, right? And so you had, for instance, at the time, the Affordable Care Act that was coming out and being, you know, the, the regulations were coming out around it. And I would watch the stock market and, you know, you have these, all these regulations that basically are shoving profits to insurance companies and the pharma companies and whatnot, and the stock wouldn't move, <laughs> right? Or, you know, you would look at, you know, the regulations that are coming out of, uh, they're regulating Silicon Valley, right? And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, you'd see like the criminalization of uh, like ride sharing um, and whatnot. And you'd just see investors shoveling cash, you know, to some of these businesses. And so I was just thinking to myself, like, what is the, what is the disconnect here? I mean, and so, you know, 2013, 
I was like, okay, why don't we start a company in this space? And so I sort of withdrew from Harvard and then I effectively went out to Silicon Valley. And I was like 21 at the time, honestly. <laughs> I, I grabbed two of my, my buddies from, from high school. We all went to Wooten High School out in Maryland. And so I said, okay, well, guys, let's just try and figure out how to start a company here. And so can I ask you to pause real quick? <laughs> I want to make sure yeah, I get this straight. So at the time you're withdrawing, it doesn't really sound like you have really a plan other than you're going to start something. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, yeah. All right. So now I got to ask, like, what were your parents thinking? Like when you broke this news, your parents, were they like, because I, you know, there's obviously stereotypes about Asian families, especially when your parents are first generation or they're immigrants themselves, right? It's like my parents the same way. That would not fly in my house. So you tell me what, how that worked when you, when you broke the news. Hey, by the way, this Harvard thing, I'm going to take a pause. And uh, by the way, I, I, I'm going to do something new, but I don't really know what that is yet. Yeah. You know, uh, it was uh, a lot of fighting. <laughs> so um, especially my mom was not very pleased. And so she kind of had this deal, basically. It was like, if this thing doesn't work out, you got to go back to school in like a year, you know? <laughs> okay. So that, was, that was basically the deal. So I, I, got, I negotiated with my parents and basically bought myself some, some free time here. I mean, you know, there are many instances where it probably couldn't, I mean, I'll be honest, like, I mean, it wasn't like very obvious that we would succeed from the beginning, to be honest. Right. Yeah. And so like, basically went out to Silicon Valley, we had basically like $2,000 in our pockets. Um, and I mean, I mean, as, as most people know, it's just super expensive to be in the Bay Area, right? And, um, you know, literally being 21 years old, we just didn't know how to do any of this stuff. And so I went on Craigslist looking for a month to month apartment in the Bay Area, <laughs> um, which is incredibly stupid. Um, so uh, like the prices we got back were like astronomical. I'm like, it's like six or $7,000 a month for like a two bedroom, one bedroom. Or something. I, I don't know, something, something crazy. Yeah. Um, and it's just, there's no way we could afford it. And so we found that like the Motel 6 in Sunnyvale was something like $65 a night. And it was much cheaper than, um, than getting a month in the apartment. So that's what we did. Like we literally moved into a Motel 6 and I was like a two twin bed, like uh, one bedroom, like Motel 6 thing. That's where we lived out of basically for a couple of months, just trying to get this company off the ground. And what were, what were you, I guess, what was the first thing you guys attempted to build? So we wanted to build a search engine um, over state laws. There's 50 states in the U.S. and it seemed like a very um, attackable problem. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we coded up the first product and started calling some customers. And I would say um, we got our first customer probably about five months into the business, four or five months into the business. We just bootstrapped this, this company and just um, started generating some, some pretty quick revenue. Like, give me a breakdown. So it's yourself, uh, your two partners, I believe Gerald and Jonathan. Is that right? Yeah, so Gerald I'd known since uh, the sixth grade and Jonathan I'd known since the fourth grade. Um, so, so what were the three of you doing specifically? Was there, did you guys have division of labor or were you guys all kind of coding as well as calling on prospects at the same time? Like how did that, how did that Motel 6 room look? Yeah, so I was, uh, <laughs> I was doing um, like classical product management, I guess. I mean, I was, I was like designing the product and thinking about the infrastructure and doing a little bit of coding and, you know, really kind of creating wireframes and talking to customers and like, Jonathan was like the engineer, right? He was like the guy sitting in the back, like, building the application. We had two other people that we brought in, one kind of intern and then another, um, one of our high school friends who we brought in a couple months into the business. And he was, he was also sort of, an, both those people were engineers. And then Gerald was doing everything else. I mean, like payroll, operations, finance, uh, paying our taxes and like, I mean, just stuff like that, um, you know, handling office space and dealing with um, the operational challenges. And also, he had like this Google spreadsheet that he had opened up and he was just cold calling customers, you know, asking them for feedback and whatnot. So it was literally, if there's sort of two and a half things that we did, we were 
talking to customers, building product, and then just quote unquote running the business. That was us basically for probably about seven to nine months or so for the business. Gotcha. So you're seven to nine months into it. You started off building a search engine for state tax laws. The three of you are living in a Motel 6. That's as unglamorous as it gets, but you guys are truly grinding at it, trying to build something. Yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting. You know, I think we were working like 8 a.m. to 1 a.m. every single day, seven days a week. I mean, I just, it was such a grind. I mean, <laughs> you're not thinking about it, but I mean, it's, that's kind of what I expected us to do at the end of the day. Yeah. And listen, when people have very focused goals of what they're going to build for product, there's tons of mistakes. So, I mean, for you guys, you guys, I feel like you probably were making a lot of mistakes, but at the same time, learning each time, improving yourselves along the way. So you're seven, nine months into it. Is that when you felt like, okay, we've got something. What was it that gave you that confidence that said, okay, this is going to be useful. And these are the people that are going to find it useful. To be honest, I don't mean to sound like cocky or anything, but like, I mean, we knew, we knew there was a market here. I mean, we knew that there was going to be customers. I mean, like I having like kind of worked around government, I knew that people were going to pay for this. Now there are open questions around like how much they're going to pay for it. You know, there are open questions around like how we should charge for it. And a lot of our biggest debates internally in the early days of the company were like, do we do transactional per issue? Do we price by per user or whatever? And so, but there was no doubt that like there was going to be a business. Um, It was mostly just how fast could we grow? How much cash are we going to burn? All, all, all the sort of those types of questions. But the fundamental question of like product market fit was never in question. So, I mean, one of the, one of the crazy things about our company is that, you know, six or seven years later, we're still doing the same exact thing that we've been doing for seven years. I mean, it's just that honestly, you know, it's a little bit more expensive and there's a little bit more workflow software and all that stuff. But honestly, we take legal data, we pull it into a platform, we sell it to lawyers. And that's what we've been doing from the very beginning. <laughs> gotcha. So you kind of always knew that this product would have a customer base, that there was a customer base that was going to pay for this product. The question was, were you going to build the product that fit that niche, right? So what was like the feedback or was there any feedback specific or can you remember a time when you could just tell that you, you guys were building the right thing for the segment? Actually, you know, that, that's, that's a good point. So I, I do remember thinking about um, customer segments and which markets to go after. And so like, I remember having like, I don't know, like a hundred conversations with like hedge funds, for instance, right? And so mm-hmm. I called up a bunch of hedge fund managers and I said, hey, you know, would you use a product like this? And so then, I mean, they would, it's just that like the sales cycles are off and like, you know, it's just not urgent enough and blah, 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 right? And so you kind of cross that off as like, this is not the market that we're going to go after, right? Or if we are, we're going to do it much later. And then you start calling like corporate lawyers and government agencies. And so like, I remember just having all these different conversations, like hundreds and hundreds of conversations. And I had this literally this Google spreadsheet where <laughs> um, it was like company name, contact, phone number. And then we just coded it red or green, like green as in, you know, like they're interested in the product. And so then you start, you now have this spreadsheet of like hundreds of names and it's just like red, green, red, green, red, green. And you can start to sort of see some patterns around like what people are interested, what segments you should go after. And then that was that's as unglamorous as it sounds. That's how we did customer discovery. And then we said, you know, corporate customers with a certain type of lawyer, you know, the, that's our market, right? And that's basically how we built the business, you know, basically just going after those customers over and over and over again. Very strategic. Now, this is a very different from a lot of, because a lot of products or technology products are kind of, I'll say a little, there's like a little self-service element to them, right? Like when they want to get started. Um, and then you always often see like the more enterprise startups, like I would call this a more enterprise startup because you need salespeople, you need people to call. Like there was no one knocking on your door to buy it. It sounds like you had to do a lot of discovery, a lot of pitching. So I guess who did you go to to learn how to do this? Or did you just simply learn on the fly as you were making these cold calls? Because a lot of times that's one of the things that people fear for sure. Like they don't want to pick up the phone. They don't want to call people and find out like, do you want to buy this? 
Yeah. I mean, I think you get really good at pitching really fast. <laughs> so I always say this is, I say this to like early stage enterprise founders, to be honest, that like the one skill that you need to have as an enterprise B2B startup is you need it to sell. I mean, you need to sell like really, really well, like to customers, to investors, to partners. And so you need to simplify your message and you need to get the value proposition down pat and then you need to drive the sale. So I would say that generally speaking, we were definitely learning on the fly. And I remember spending like hours on like, you know, the startup blogs, you know, just reading through, you know, what other people were doing and benchmarking and all that stuff. And honestly, like our sales model and business model, there's nothing revolutionary about it, right? We call businesses and we sell them software. And so there's enough sort of examples out there about how to build a commercial organization and, you know, the types of challenge that people have seen in the past. And you start learning from that as well. Gotcha. So here you are, you're just taking in the advice, you're going after it, you're selling. What about some of the customer feedback loops that were helping you identify exactly what it is that they were very happy? Like, did you start seeing renewal models start coming in where you're like, okay, now we're really on it. Like these people are actually paying us more and more and more. Kind of take me through that, like as now you're about to figure out like, hey, we've got it. Yeah, so I guess in the early stages, I mean, the, the biggest uh, sort of signal that your product is working is that people are just buying it, right? And so, you know, your ARR is a, your annual recurring revenue is a very good uh, sort of indicator of, you know, customer validation. And then as, as you kind of get into year two and year three, then you think about renewal rates and, and whatnot. But our renewal rates, you know, they weren't like, I mean, candidly, they're not amazing. They're not, we're not like, you know, best in class, but I would say we're, we're probably about average for B2B startup. Um, and so you kind of, you can optimize and tinker around the sort of the edges, but you know that you know, as long as people are renewing and that people are buying that generally speaking, you have a pretty good business. And so, you know, I think it just sort of depends on the stage of the company. And even now to this day, like this is the stuff that I think about, right? Like in this customer segment or this geography or whatever, do we have product market fit and, you know, our customers renewing and whatnot. So it doesn't really change that much, you know, from the early stages, especially as you're trying to drive growth. You know, so, you know, I sat in a meeting yesterday and we were talking about, you know, Latin American commercial penetration. And I was just sitting there and saying like, what does the retention rates look like? How fast is ARR scaling? You know, and then that's a good reflection of, I mean, the, the thing about B2B is that your revenues are a very strong reflection of sort of customer validation. And so you basically just kind of link the two together and that's, you know, kind of good enough. So take me now to, you know, your days today. Like, I think that's a great segue into it. So you've built this business. It's providing unbelievable amounts of information so that people can keep ahead of or on pace with whatever governmental changes are happening. You talked about at the beginning, you were more of a product manager. What's your role look like today? And where do you see fiscal note going as you continue to build it? Yeah. So the good thing about where we are right now is we have really strong executives and operators in all parts of our business, um, you know, running big chunks of the company. Um, you know, we're just around 450 people here today. Um, and so I'd say that a lot of my time, I mean, there's sort of, if you, if you divide it out, you know, you've got a big chunk of time that you're talking to the external market, right? So customers, investors, uh, and whatnot. So that's like, I would say a big, big chunk of kind of what, what I do. And then that's like probably 30 or 40%. And then you've got kind of core operations, kind of, you know, sitting in product review sessions and you know, like sales reviews and pipeline reviews and executive leadership meetings and all that stuff. So that's probably another like 30, 40% or so. And then there's like 20% that's sort of miscellaneous. That's, you know, what you're incubating a new idea or you're, uh, you know, working with, you know, your salespeople on like a big enterprise contract or a government contract or something, or you're strategizing around like a marketing campaign or something. Or I, I don't know, just there's a lot of stuff that pops up in a business. So I would call that miscellaneous time. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 more structured these days, and it's definitely more busy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I would say that the percentage of my time that's externally focused seems to be increasing quite a bit. And so I'm on the road like at least half of the year. Wow, maybe even more than that. And so I feel like there's just a lot of stuff that pops up externally, and and so. Um, you know, like for instance, right now I'm working on some joint ventures in Asia where we're thinking about kind of taking our data and cross-selling it to, you know, like uh, say like a financial data vendor in some of these markets. Those, those things like take me out to like Jakarta and Singapore and Hong Kong and Korea and the like. So there's a lot of those types of things as well. But I mean, it's still kind of fundamentally about building. And I, I, to be honest, at this point, I've kind of delegated most of the operating stuff right. to, to our operators. So there'll be entire weeks where I just haven't done a one-on-one with you know, one of our senior executives and, you know, it's just like, there's nothing wrong and don't, you know, don't bother me about it, you know? <laughs> no, I like the way you're thinking in terms of like your growth and focusing on these new opportunities. You mentioned when you were a kid, you wanted to go into politics or you wanted to be assistant to government. Typically people who want to do that is because they want to impact positive change for their communities. So I'm assuming you still believe fiscal note is doing that exact thing. What are you most proud of in regards to like what people are doing with fiscal note information to positively impact their communities? I mean, I think that the work that we're doing in terms of government transparency and making governments more transparent, you know, not, not just for like corporations, but for major nonprofits and for other government agencies is really meaningful work. I mean, not to mention, obviously, a lucrative business, um, but, you know, it's sort of like the millennial dream, right? It's like, right. you know, you want to do good and you want to, you know, do well, right? So I'd say that, um, you know, for, for us, I want to build a long-term enduring and sustainable company. And, you know, the, the question that you always get is, you know, do you want to get acquired? You know, do you want to go public? Um, you want to stay private? I mean, at some point we should probably exit. I mean, and probably sooner rather than later. I think you're, once you're kind of seven, eight years in, you've got venture investors and, you know, blah, 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 these people that kind of need to exit their positions. So sure. I think about that stuff too. I mean, for sure. But I think the most important thing is you want to build an independent business. And so and apart from sort of the, the exit planning and strategy, at least pertains to our mission as a company, doesn't really matter too much if we get acquired by a good partner. Uh, if we go public, which we're, you know, our default pathway is thinking about going public, you know, relatively soon, or, you know, doing a transformative private transaction that basically helps the company stay private for an extended period of time. But um, really just doesn't matter to us. I mean, at the end of the day, in terms of what that, what that looks like. Got it. And then as far as, you know, I wanted to kind of follow up and add more to that conversation. You know, I read an article that you, or I guess an article that you put out, it was back in 2018, but when you, after you had acquired CQ Roll Call, and you talked about how the importance of the newsroom, right? How it's important to get right information to the informed public. Is there anything specific, like, can you think of that you're like really proud of where what your products and services did? impacted a community for the better beyond private. Because I think one of the things that you you kind of already talked about, most of our guests that come on the show tend to be in, you know, private sector, revenue sectors, enterprise business, cloud computing, things like that. But yours says, I think your business touches both sides, right? Like you, you have the private sector, but also the public good. I didn't know if you could share with some of our listeners some of the things that have happened because of what fiscal notes been able to provide. I mean, we have an entire group of people, for instance, that focus only on the budget. Right. And so it's like, that's a good example, right? I mean, like rooting out waste and corruption and, you know, like this is tons and tons of examples. If you go on our website at CQ or roll call or fiscal note, but like just stuff that we've been able to root out, you know? And so I think that like, for instance, any example of how the government spends your money should be a relevant topic. <laughs> I like that. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like the waste and the, I mean, just, just some of the stuff that happens. And so 
you know, like that's a good example where we're essentially taking publicly available information. And there's a whole host of, of constituents that really care about that information. Certainly you have the public, you have the government contractors, you have the government agencies, you have the legislative bodies that are holding the government agencies accountable. And so all those different parties, obviously we take subscriptions from, but also enables us to do things like, you know, almost stay like a, a watchdog for some of these different spending patterns. And so stuff like that, I mean, I think is uh, both, again, lucrative, but also highly important for the public. No, that's great. And then when we go back to, like you mentioned before, your mom's level of concern, how did, how did, <laughs> when did she finally say, okay, this is good? <laughs> I, you know, I think um, probably not until our series B or so I would say like, I mean, really? I remember, yeah, <laughs> this conversation with my mom, like, um, you know, I think after our series A and I was like, oh mom, you know, like we just raised like the series A is 7 million bucks and like blah, blah, blah. And she was like, oh, that's great. When are you going to go back to, to Harvard? <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, uh, yeah, I mean, but I think, I think they're okay now. I mean, and I think, uh, you know, we, as far as businesses go, you know, we're not an e-commerce business. We're not a transactions business. We're subscription B2B. I mean, like a third of our customers are government agencies, right? So mm-hmm. um, like we're not, we're not doing anything that's like crazy risky at the end of the day. And so I think that we're, you know, we're, we're chugging along and we're growing and, and um, you know, my mom, I think has been fairly supportive. <laughs> awesome. You know, and I also want to think back for yourself, like, have you gone back? Um, like, you're not even old enough to, are you old enough to go to a 10 year reunion? Almost. For high school. <laughs> but, I, think, I think it's this year. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, when you were first sharing, I always think about, because fiscal, no, I mean, this is really fast. It's less than 10 years. You're already at this size. Curiously, you know, when you were first pitching this idea, there's certain industries where they're just not sexy. You know what I mean? Like people want to start fashion lines, sports products, like, you know, big brands, but then you have the accounting products and like, in your case, government legal products. They're just not as sexy. Uh, kids don't think about it like growing up. When you were first telling people that this is what you were going to do, what was their reaction then? And have you, you know, interacted with any of these people now? Has their tune changed? Honestly, I'm trying to think back and I probably cared in the moment, but I honestly didn't really care that much what other people thought. <laughs> That's like good. Almost, yeah. I mean, we're just kind of like hermits, you know, like, I mean, we're building this company and whatnot. I've always thought it was pretty sexy. I mean, <laughs> like I, I, my, my, my argument to a lot of people was like, you know, like each city in the U.S., for instance, has like a characteristic, you know, a characteristic industry. Like um, Boston is biotech and, you know, LA, LA is entertainment, entertainment. you know, yep. New York is finance and, and stuff. In Washington, like the business is government. I mean, it is literally like, yeah. you know, the, the big defense contractors and military and all, all that stuff. And so I was thinking like, okay, so Bloomberg is able to build like a pretty cool company in New York, you know, and you've got like in entertainment, you know, like pretty sexy companies that like kind of sprang out from the industry, kind of in this tech 2.0 era. And then in Washington, there's basically nothing. I mean, (laughs) there's like nothing servicing the city. Um, And so I felt like you could build a business kind of servicing the industry of Washington and build like a pretty cool tech company in that category. And so I would say that fiscal note kind of emerged from some of that mission as well. And, uh, and so in Washington, I think people got it and they, they understood fairly quickly what we were doing. And it was, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, just cause like, it's what they do all day in Silicon Valley. I mean, honest, I remember pitching Sand Hill road, like to a bunch of venture capitalists, like people just don't get it. Like, they're like, right. like, why do, why do companies need to follow the law? <laughs> so, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty funny. I mean, Silicon Valley just to this day, just doesn't understand the government. And so I remember, I just remember pitching a bunch of venture capitalists on, on Sand Hill and just people are 
I mean, they're just like, I don't, they didn't understand what the value proposition was, right? I mean, but in Washington, at least in Washington, if you live and breathe regulations and you know, continuing resolutions and enforcement actions and court cases and all that stuff, then you know exactly why you need this product. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious, I would say. Got it. No, I agree with you. I was born and raised in the Washington, D.C. area as well. So I know exactly what you mean by that. So one of the things that we always want to do is we also want to let our audience get to know you a little bit more personally. We don't ask anything too personal, but your time is super busy. We know you fly. It sounds like 50% of the time, it sounds like you're traveling. So what do you do for fun? It sounds like your schedule is crazy. So I don't know what free time you get. You know, uh, I mean, I feel like work is fun. I mean, as, as weird as that sounds and <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> I mean, I do, I do some like angel investing and I have some, some other kind of business interests. I'm really focused on like, uh, like Asian American representation in media and in politics. And, you know, I've been helping a couple of like founders in the kind of entertainment space. I invested in a Joseph Gordon Levitt's like newest tech platform. And so kind of working with them out in LA. And so it's just kind of stuff like that, that I think is, is kind of interesting and kind of dipping my toes into. And then like, there's a lot of stuff that I, I'm like personally interested in, like just like politically, right? So I'm, I'm Korean American. And so, you know, I, you know, do some stuff with like the Council of Korean Americans. Like I go to Korea basically once every other month or so. I see my family, but also kind of, I do some stuff like with the government around like US-Korea relations and and stuff like that. And so I, I try and stay busy on around some of the stuff that I, I care about. Um, and so there's a lot of, a lot of those things for sure. No, that's, that's great. You kind of, I think downplay a lot of your accomplishments, but I mean, you, what you've done is nothing short of amazing. 27 years old, built this tech company. You're helping governments actually get along better across the world. I mean, it's pretty fascinating investing, angel investing. I mean, Dude, you're so young. You got a lot. You're super accomplished. You've already been named to 30 under 30 for Inc. You've already been named the same for Forbes. So you can pat yourself on the back a little. I, I feel very old. Um, just I feel like this company has definitely aged me quite a bit. Tim, thanks for joining us today on Mission Daily. Did you have a good time? Yeah, it was great. It was super fun. All right. Thanks for joining us. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.